I'll redo my intro. I feel like I'm gonna make it. I can make it. Okay. Okay. Do it again. All right. You can also you can change it to a closing, or you can do both an intro and a closing. I'll do an intro and a closing. Okay. Hey guys, it's Smitty, um, also known as Stephanie Smith. I'm the chief residence. I hope that you guys um, are about to settle into a comfy chair because this is, I think, a long one to get through. Um, but well worth it. Well worth to listen to the end. I know a lot of people think that I'm funny and wanted me to be on here just to kind of do some stand-up, but I think that you'll find um, that we kind of tapped into some personal things, and I hope that you guys enjoy. <laughs> damn. I, I, like, I'm on a Bluetooth headset. This thing is so yeah, damn sensitive. You, you and your technology, man, always have latest. <laughs> Man, like I, I'm all trying. I'm trying out here trying to be doing hands-free mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, <laughs> how's this? Is this better? Yeah. yeah. How about when I move my head? Do you hear like ruffling? Yeah, your hair's not long enough for that. Totally. You should see my hair, man. It's like crazy right now. Bad haircuts and hard bodies. That's what's going <laughs> to happen after this, among a lot of other things. Because people are going to work out and not cut their hair. Well, Smitty, our guest of honor, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing just dandy. And let me rephrase that. You're actually Dr. Stephanie Smith, and we kind of affectionately call you Smitty. Has any, did people call you Smitty before residency? Yeah. Oh, okay. So well, like, call me. Okay. So that's always kind of been your nickname? Uh, I mean, not always. It really caught on in like... A- like, my family just calls me Steffi or, you know, Steph. But all my friends Do you say, do you say, I'm Stephanie, I'm Dr. Smith, but you can call me Smitty? I do not. Um, but <laughs> Smitty is also my, like, stage name. And I have delivered a patient that when I came into her room, she was like, Smitty. And it kind of took me by surprise. And she was like, I hope you don't mind if I call you that. And I was like, no, that's fine. And. I actually got one of our little eye care papers from her, and she said that was the highlight of her delivery was getting to call me Smitty. (laughs) Um, Tell us about your stage name. Um, Like, I I don't think I I don't have a stage name, for example. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, my stage name is, well, I have nothing to say. Yeah, and what stage is? I guess that's just what I go by, like, when, you know, when I do some stand up. Yeah. Just so I don't identify. How long? How long have you been doing stand up? I mean, as long as I can remember, I guess. You know, I've always done it at family Who? gatherings or such. But like, I don't do it for money. It's just always open mics. Nice. Wow. How, how did you get it? How did you get into that? I kind of want to explore this a little bit. Uh, I guess the great talent show was the first time I was like actually on a stage. Was it seventh grade? Fifth grade. So did you like prepare a bit or did you just no, kind of go I off the cuff? I just there and just talked about stuff. Do you, what, what, what did you talk about? <laughs> oh gosh, I don't remember. You're going to warm her up. <laughs> I, I mean, I was in fifth grade, so I was probably just making fun of my classmates. That's what most of it is. Make right, like that's right. I, I was gonna say, how much of it is that, or how were you like talking about something going on at the time, or were you just no, ripping on just people? 
yeah, just ripping on people, but in like a non-bullying way. Because, you know, I also was like you right. know, a good kid and was the leader of like peer mediation group and all that crap that you care about when you're young. <laughs> we still care about it now when we're old. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> like which comedians inspire like the, do you do you get like any inspiration from comedy comedian com- comedy show sketch comedies like what was the first sketch comedy show you watched or are you more just like I'm just doing this because I find it interesting I'm not really into the culture or whatever yeah, I'm not real big into like watching like Netflix specials or anything like that but the first stand-up comedian I ever saw like on a HBO special was actually Robin Williams and my mom quickly turned it off because it was you know, way too vulgar, um, which in hindsight, like now that I'm at OBGYN, like I'm using that kind of language all the time. So. But. Um, who is, who is the, so like, so was Robin Williams was, so did she let no, you watch that? I mean, that? it was just like, you know, I was playing summer basketball or summer softball and we were just in a motel and, you know, it, just flipping through the channels and happened to be happened to be on and you know I found it funny to to see him in that perspective because he was probably around the same time like Miss Doubtfire was was out or something so right. I was familiar with who he was but I think most of my inspiration for like people that like I like their style is mostly anybody that's on SNL like Kate McKinnon Leslie Jones even though she's not on this this last season right do you do you like um <laughs> i'm gonna keep going on this a little bit um do you have any other like fe- like uh comedians that you really enjoy male or female um i mean to be honest no it's not <laughs> something that is, I, it's just the same <laughs> as like when people ask me like oh what's your favorite basketball team like i don't like watching professional basketball you know even though i played in in college you know, it's just kind of like that. Like, I get kind of irritated or I don't yeah, laugh you just... a lot. Mm-hmm. Got you. Stephanie, tell us about humor in, like, hard times. Because I think why everybody has overwhelmingly said, like, we want to hear from Stephanie Smith. We want to hear from Smitty. is because you're so capable of sort of bringing out the best in any situation. Um, I think that's a huge strength of yours. You know, darkest times, whether it's dealing with someone's infertility or someone on the onc service or like all, you know, an MFM thing. I mean, you can always bring out someone laugh and smile. So, how, like, what do you think the role of humor is in this whole COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, I think it's huge. I... I mean, I'm obviously flattered by those comments that people have made, um, but I've always used humor as like a coping mechanism. Um, I'm not like a victim to having this horrible life that no one else has had these type of events happen in their life like mine. Um, So I'm not unique in that way, but I think I'm unique in the way that I've just continued to, to like look for something positive because I feel like often like residency is hard um, and I think it's hard at WashU, and I think it's hard at any other program, even though I'm not a part of those programs. I don't think that's, that's something about COVID times or something about academic medicine or anything about the location. I think that residency is just grueling. And, you know, I always kind of use this metaphor. It's like we're all in this 
big cruise ship that's just sinking and we're all paddling and it, it sucks for everyone. Um, but it's nice when you have people around you that can be lighthearted or make the situation feel a little less shitty. <laughs> um, so I'm always happy to like step up and, and offer humor and, you know, I like got board sign out. People will, will talk about like, you know, look at that D cell. And I just find that to be an opportunity to be like, no, 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 the monitor's just upside down or, you know, whatever. <laughs> because in hindsight, like, so like it matters, but also we have to get through this. So let's just like keep going. That's right. There's going to be a delivery at the end of this D cell. Yeah. Rather, one way or the other. Whether <laughs> or, you know, right. out vaginally, like, yes, you're right. Thank you for pointing out that D cell. <laughs> gotcha. There, there is a lot of unintentional. There is some unintentional comedy that comes up in residency. Have you ever, like, do you do you talk about residency kind of using humor in residency? How have you used that humor in residency? And are there like observations you've made that are, like, prone for opportunities of humor? I guess I'm a little confused by your question, or it's a little too complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably just not a very well thought out question. I guess are there are there opportunities? Where are the, what are some examples of humor that you've um, encountered, or some opportunities that you've been able to inject into the day to day, especially in the last month? Well, I mean, to be quite frank with you, I I usually just like start ripping on a text thread with with a friend or in our uh, group text and like, I just can't stop. Like literally a couple of days ago, uh, my class, not my classmate, but my residency mate, um, Bree was texting me and, you know, I had just dr driven out to Castlewood. And um, as soon as I got there and I saw the, like the ugly plastic orange fencing and the signs to say, you know, due to COVID, we've decided to ruin your life and close the state park. <laughs> and yes. I texted her and I was like, I can't believe I drove all the way out to Baldwin and like it's closed. And she's like, oh yeah, you didn't read the article in the paper. Um, and she sent me a screenshot or the link to this article talking about how basically everybody is just like, you know, getting the most out of their North faces and their Patagonias and all the trails are all crowded because everybody's trying to be like um, Bear Grylls right now on Men versus Wild. And I was just like, you know, I could go out there and, and be like, well, two two can play this game, and if you want to be like that show, Man versus Wild, I can be like naked and afraid, you know. But I'm just going to be naked, and you all are going to be really afraid. But you know, I don't know what kind of stimulus package that would be, but I'm just trying to make that force great again, you know. So you're just going back and forth with yeah. her on this, and you know, she didn't stop there because you know, of course, she's like. Is there any interesting hobbies that like you don't have? Because you know we were just talking about like different things I was doing or what I was doing that day, and you know I was just joking back and I said you know I don't like bake or knit, and she's like no no stuff. I asked like do you have anything that's interesting? And I said well I find it interesting that you can go on an airplane with a big knitting needle, but you know a breastfeeding mom has to limit her milk supply to three ounces. So, right. Yeah. That's not funny. That's like, it is, that's, that's a bad law. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you can deliver that in a funny way, but these are really serious topics. Uh, but you're able to at least break a smile where I just like sit in the corner and cry about it. I'm like, ah, nothing's good about this, but <laughs> somehow you can, you can turn my friend upside down. <laughs> just like that D cell. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's very helpful. Do you, when you do your open mics, do you talk about your job as a resident? Do, do you draw a lot of content from your day-to-day routines at work? Oh, 100%. Yes, 100%. I think, you know, my biggest victim is Matt Shanahan. I think he knows that. Um, <laughs> I tease him at work all the time, and he's a, a centerpiece of most of my bits. Even though, of course, I'm keeping everything anonymous and not saying who he is or even using his, his sex sure. at all. You know, he's just another worker. <laughs> what? How long are these? Like, how long do the bits go? Like, the open mic is like no, 30 I've, minutes? Most of them like... are like 15, like 10 to 15. You just get 15. up there and just, you know, do your thing and sit back down and listen to everyone else. Because some of it just poetry how often you... or, you know, other boring things. How, how often do you do it? So I haven't done anything in about a year and a half. I used to do something like once every couple of months, um, especially intern year. Like I really, I just had to have an outlet for that. <laughs> but yeah, you could also edit out no, it's just... <laughs> when I said like crap, like peer mediation. <laughs> so I don't seem like a complete asshole. <laughs> Man, I remember peer mediation. I remember that being yeah, a thing. Totally like, I remember we would get into, I remember we would get into, like, we would joke with each other, be like, yo, do you want, are we going to fight? No, man, we got to take this to mediation would be the joke. Like, we would be like, oh, no, we, I'm going to take you to mediation. Yeah. Did you see, see kids fight? We'd be like, yo, we're going to take you to mediation. Right. You know, as adults, um, like, Kelsey Anderson and I are probably the best example where we're just like, oh, like, we're going to have to balance about this later. Yeah, what was it? You guys made that reference. So explain to me what that is. Explain to the audience that might not know. Because So I was doing a didactic with the residents. Kelsey and Smitty are doing this back and forth on the chat, talking about balance. And I'm just like, there's so many inside jokes here. Explain what that was all about. Yeah, so, well, I guess to preference, like I have to say what balance is. And I'm sorry, Dr. Getty and Dr. Dickinson. Um, I hate balance. I hate... I hate talking about feelings. I hate like feelings group. I hate all of it. I didn't participate in ballot until literally the very last ballot that we just had, which I think um, looking forward will probably be the best, the last ballot that we ever have. Um, but so, so hold up, but what is ballot? I don't even know. Something that um, it's somebody's last name. So Michael ballot, he is the founder of this like process of being able to think about the patient physician relationship and being able to have okay. time to reflect on how interactions with our patients affect us. Okay. Okay, cool. But, okay. So it's a proper noun. I'm like trying to figure out, is this like a yeah, typo? Is so this, what is this um, thing? You know, we, we tease as like fillings group or something like that. It's not like therapy and I got it's definitely not a group therapy, but it's just where we talk about a patient case and how it affects us. Um, so, Got you. But Kelsey knows that I don't like it. Um, and so anytime we like get in a little, we're usually just playing. I've actually never been in the actual fight with Kelsey. But when we get like a little <laughs> going, then one of us always just says, like, I'm going to tell Dr. Dickinson. In fact, literally today, she asked me if I would trade a shift with her. And um, I teased, I was like, well, I can think about trading that if you can think about giving me the schedule that I want for this year. 
Um, which she knows is referring to the fact that I, I didn't get what I requested for this last year. And she's a car. Um, and I voted for her. It's like lose, lose, lose for me. But anyway, she literally texted me. She was like, I'm going to, you know, good thing that Dr. Dickinson and Omar Todd aren't seeing this. So. Uh, all right. Well, this brings up a point that I feel like is important. So, you know, it obviously is important to reflect on patient interactions and like things that happen that are really serious that we may not have time in the clinical busyness of our lives to do. But it always seems kind of forced to do things like balance groups, right? And I feel like it's almost like wellness. So here we are on the wellness podcast. And I feel like sometimes wellness is a little bit like forced down our throat. Um, we, want to be well and all of that but I don't know is that why you don't like it do you think or I don't like because it's never been something I've been comfortable with like I I've had forced counseling like as a child and like after my dad's death and I I didn't like it then um and so I think like trauma really um really shapes our future obviously like we don't need research and data to prove that um, but there's a ton of it that shows that. And so I just think that since it was a negative experience as a young child, like I don't yeah. think that I yeah. like. However, that being said, like I was really debating doing a palliative care fellowship and I really like dealing with hard things. I just don't like, I don't like being told to do like fun things and being forced to do fun things. And I don't like being told to do things that aren't fun and being forced to do things that aren't fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of paving your way from based on your experiences and I just think you get more out of it when it's something like authentic or yeah. You know, and I I felt really um inclined last session to to speak up about um a balanced topic and I did and and other times I didn't feel like I had anything organic or raw to say and so I just didn't and I just embraced silence. Yeah. Do you want to do two yeah, truths I mean, and a lie? Icebreaker. Oh yeah, and we're also right. going to ask you what kind of fun things they've been doing in your quarantine because you've been on um, two weeks of not being on service, right? Or yeah. just, like being on home call and doing those things. Yeah. How have you kept this, yourself busy? This um, today is the end of week one, and I've just been you know zooming with my classmates for our teaching sessions, which are actually phenomenal. Um, and then reading a lot of practice bulletins and doing like online questions and then also getting some time outdoors um, minus the Castlewood fiasco. <laughs> what do you think about the online? Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think that if given the choice, would you rather have a big Zoom conference yeah. for resident didactics or would you embrace the return to obviously the answer probably lies in the middle where there's going to be a lot more zoom like conferences but i'm just curious what is what is kind of your your take and then what do you your peers take on kind of the uh online learning opportunities? I, I can't speak for my peers um but i think that it's it's just quite honestly a travesty that it took a global pandemic for us to tap into resources we already had you know, like this Microsoft Teams is amazing, but we've always had it. And like for us as classmates to not realize it and not be like sharing our notes in this way or 
for things to not be, you know, they're in yep. the portal and it's not a, a knock on anybody, especially not from our leadership. It's just like just stating facts that these resources have been here and like, it's amazing how good they are. And it's, they're not good because of COVID. Like they've been good. Right. Yeah. I think we'll see more. I think we'll see more of it. And I share that same um, verbatim. I mean, it's sad that it took that a tr- a pandemic, but uh, I think we'll make, make education a lot yeah, better. Yeah, I think it's great. Do you feel like you've had good, meaningful interactions with patients on the phone or have you done any Zoom video visits at this point from home? I haven't done any Zoom video vi- visits as um, I'm, the upper levels are like the education chiefs or not like we are the education chiefs. And so mm-hmm. this next week, I'm the chief of the GYN topics. And so I'm organizing all of that. And the uh, first years are the ones that are making the like, postpartum phone calls. And then all yeah. of our patient interactions that would be like GYN visits or whatever, those are actually the in-service patients or the on-service patients or um, residents that are doing those. I see. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interestingly, as a side note, I got a, I, there was an invitation. You, you know, it sounds like the university UCSF is putting together some sort of national OBGYN residency didactic. Yeah. I Have will, you heard of this? I watched them. You can watch them live at noon our time, but also there's a link where um, UCSF on their residency page, you can pull it up. And I actually like doing that in the evenings better because then I can pause it or whatnot. But they post a recording about three hours after the live. I mean, just think of that. that. That is something that could have been, I mean, the technology to do that has been around for five to t- five years at least, maybe I'd say five years. Um, so it's amazing. It's just nice to see everyone's kind of coming together and embracing these new tools. Not really new tools, but embracing the tools that we have available. Um, so I, I was curious if you guys knew yeah, about that. We, I think most everybody in our group um, watches them because we talk about them on our Zoom conferences. Cool. We got a, for next week, we have a Zoom bingo that we've made. Uh, largely, again, Bree has made this. I give a lot of credit to Bree. Um, but I added some, some squares in there. So we'll see. We'll see how that rolls. Is that the first like Zoom social event you guys have done? Have you guys done any other Zoom-related social events? Uh, my class had a Zoom social event. I did not participate. Um, I wouldn't participate if it was live either. So it's not like I didn't want to participate on Zoom. I'm just not very social. Um, <laughs> you know, you have seen those memes, I'm, right? So I was social distancing before it was cool. Yeah, I, I think that's <laughs> me. Like, I think I'm your local expert in social distancing. <laughs> and, and, and without any, you know, I don't think you orchestrated this at all. I would never, ever think that. But you may just be getting out of a graduation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not getting that? out of it because I was never going to go in the first place. Well, come on. We were going to like pick you up and bring you. No. But <laughs> no. Hmm. 
Oh, was that a thing? I didn't know that. Was that something you weren't really, you're not, you're not keen, you weren't yeah, keen no, on? Yeah, no, that's something I, I've always, I mean, I've never planned to go, I should say. I've never been, I've always been the one working, and I just didn't have plans to go. Got you. Um, did you go to your college graduation? I did, yes. I actually um, carried the the flag for our department. So. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, let's do. Tell us two truths and a lie, and we'll see if we can guess. All right. It's gonna be hard. Let's see here. Mm. See, I was already earlier. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, as you know, I went to med school in Minnesota. So, of course, I've driven um, my Jeep across a frozen section of Lake Superior in Minnesota. Um, I've done some training at the FBI Academy, and in college, I participated in both barrel racing and team calf roping. I should say steer roping, not calves. You did. Uh, you did not. You you did not drive a jeep across the lake. That's, I'm going to go with that as being the lie. Andrea, what do you got? Yeah, that's the one because you said it so emphatically. Like, because I, I I could easily just just I'm pretty sure I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with that one. Um, no, I did barrel race. Ah! I did do team steer roping. Oh. oh, you didn't do barrel racing, but you did steer. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Was that a required course? Steer roping? Um, no. It, Team roping was not a required course. It just so happened that I went to junior college at a place that has a rodeo team, which um, shout out to Kelsey yeah. Anderson because she always makes fun of that fact. But they do have a college rodeo team. And I was just good friends with – I mean, you're friends with everybody because you're – like the whole student body is only like 1,500 people. And so you just kind of know all the athletes. And – um I just kind of got into it, and so I did it with them, not as the team sport, but just like hanging out. Is that the first time you had done it, or had you done it before? I had worked the shoots before, but I'd never, I'd never done it. Gotcha. And working is just kind of like so. Did that you know, don't tell Peta, but you just like zap the steers and get them into the place where you're going to release them, and then they run out, and then they rope them. How did that, did that, I mean, you were an athlete there playing yeah. basketball, right? Yeah, I played basketball. So did that, um, <laughs> what, did, I mean, could, could you do both? Yeah, like, are they the same season? Oh, I, I mean, I I'm basketball's on, winner, so I'm, these are in the spring. I team. I just had friends, and this was just something that, like, hanging out. I got you. Okay. I did. You know, in exchange for, like, letting them use our <laughs> basketball, like, laundry machine, the, you know, we would use to wash our practice jerseys or whatever. Like it's all just trading stuff, right? <laughs> right. In fact, we were talking the other day. You, you, you have trafficked in the barter system um, before, right? You told us this story uh, where you made a trade for dental yeah, care or something. You know, Is that what it was? Trading on my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make a lot of trades, but I did. I actually had a tooth knocked out 
in college. Um, and I had, it was the first time I'd ever had insurance, and I had the NCAA insurance for, like, game time. But since it was actually during a practice and it was something that was, like, undocumented because it was just a practice time, I needed um, – if well, it was knocked – not completely like knocked out, but it was, it had developed where I needed a root canal or whatever had happened. Uh, I'm not, obviously not a dentist, but I went, I went to the local dentist and I asked him, you know, like if he would fix it or like how much it would cost without insurance. And it was like 1500 or $2,000. And so obviously I didn't have that kind of cash flow. And um, we worked at a deal and I actually cleaned out his horse barn for like a month. Every night for a month, I would shovel his horse crap, and oh. I got a free root canal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. I hope it went well. I hope it was so uncomplicated. It was worth the. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you played basketball, right? And so you played basketball you know in college I, all four years, so or I played, so how did it work? I always just say that I played at Connor State College, which is a junior college, because that's where I actually like on the floor playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And um, that is the same college that my parents met at. And so it's kind of like a little like homage to them that I did. Little like yeah. legacy. Yeah, my dad was a basketball player, my mom was the bat cool. girl. That's how they met. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh. And that's, that's pretty cool. Very yeah. cool. The other thing you just mentioned was that you were working for the FBI for a while. Oh, no, I didn't work for the FBI. I did training at their academy. So that's right. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you are working for the FBI and you're just not going <laughs> no. no. Um, yeah. So that, that came, um, that was actually part of like the counseling thing that I did after my dad's uh, shooting where they took us um, out to Virginia and we stayed at Quantico and we did like a lot of emotional training or counseling stuff. And then we actually, um, it was me and a group of kids that all of their parents, it was actually um, all people that had been shot. And so we did a lot of mm-hmm. firearm training to again, like help with the mentality of like firearms aren't bad. And then we did some skid chart, skid car training too, because we were all in the age range of just being able to drive or learning how to drive or, or going to be learning how to drive. So they taught us how to, um, how to drive like on ice with the skid cars and whatnot. Wow. Um, so I don't know. Skid cars. You know, I'm like Googling skid car right like now. You have the regular wheels and then it's on a plate where, yeah. And so they it's can, on a plate, right? It's like a go kart. And then they can race, and you'll slide around. Oh. And so you have to learn how to, like, you know, take your foot off the brake and turn the wheel and do all that stuff. It's very challenging. I don't think that you could do it. What do you mean? <laughs> you I mean, Kenning could do it. <laughs> nah. Um. Are you saying I can't do it? I mean, I probably can't. <laughs> I'm not out here trying to profess my skid car skills. But that sounds like a pretty intense time in your life um for sure and you mentioned this sort of as a like a forced counseling situation um 
and I don't know how much, like, I don't, I have no idea who's listening to this at all or, um, you know, how much you feel comfortable sharing, but I mean, it sounds like a pretty terrible situation that your dad had died in the line of duty, right? Um, can you share that? Yeah, or? so he, his death is considered a homicide and he is like on paper considered to have been killed in the line of duty, but the um, the story is that when I was a fifth grader, um, my aunt and uncle came over at like 10.30 at night, and I just remember my aunt crawled in bed with me, and she told me that she had some bad news for me, and she told me that um, my, because my uncle also was a uh, state trooper, and so she told me that it came over the radio that my dad had been in an accident, and she just, you know, obviously told me she loved me and all that kind of stuff. And then told me that we were going to be going to Joplin to the hospital. And, um, you know, was just trying to prepare me because, you know, I was a little fifth grader and obviously didn't know what was going on. And um, what had happened is he was a state, a state highway patrol officer for the state of Oklahoma. And he was actually the state hostage negotiator. And there was a hostage situation, and the hostage actually was a dead body, and her husband had killed her at their dead daughter's graveside. Hmm. So a pretty messed up situation, but this guy was going to bury his wife he had just shot. And um, so my dad was negotiating with him, and there was a local sheriff's department that was also assisting with this negotiation and the plan had been for my dad to, um, I guess the sheriff that was working with my dad was a smoker. And so they were uh, like throwing a pack of cigarettes back and forth. And my dad was going to throw his big mag light and catch the guy off balance or like flash him in his eyes or something and then tackle him. But the sheriff, unbeknownst to my dad, had orchestrated where somebody was going to like tackle this guy from behind and when that happened, the guy picked up the gun that was beside him, shot my dad in the neck, and then shot the sheriff in the mm. arm. It was like a flesh wound and then committed suicide. So mm. my dad, his, um, he had a spinal cord injury at like C3 and C2. And then he had a severed jugular. So he was on ECMO and survived. And then he ended up dying um, my sophomore year of high school. Oh, so he was a quadriplegic wow. for the time in between. Wow. How were you able to have a relationship with him during that time? Like, I mean, obviously there was some type of relationship, but, you know, did it change dramatically or how? I mean, I, these are stupid questions. No, they're, they're not stupid questions. <laughs> so my parents were divorced when I was like five or six um, in my dad had us like every other weekend um, that that was kind of the schedule we my brother would always go up to his house and stay for a couple weeks in the summertime um, and then I always just stayed continued on that like every other weekend schedule because I always had like softball games or basketball camps or what have you and then um, after his accident he he went to Joplin for he was there for like three months maybe. And then he actually went for like a year and a half 
and stayed in Craig Hospital in Inglewood, um, Colorado. Um, and then when he came home, I think he came home December of my like, seventh grade year. And we just still continued on that same schedule where like every other weekend I would um, go up. And by that time, my brother was able to drive. And so my brother actually moved in with him to help him, um, you know, do things like put him in the Hoyer lift or whatnot. And my brother would drive down and come get me. And then I would go up to and stay at my dad's house. So we had a relationship um, and it was like pretty normal. You know, he just was quadriplegic and like I, you know, things, the only things that were different were like emptying his leg bag or, you know, helping put him in the Hoyer lift and put him to bed or, you know, feeding him, which are big changes, but like you just take him in stride. And then um, when I was in high school, then my stepmom at that time actually had an affair with some other person and um, my, my stepmom divorced my dad and right before she divorced him, she had moved him into a nursing home so he would have that kind of assistance on a daily basis. Um, and so then in high school, he was in the nursing home and for whatever reason, I didn't visit him as much in high school as like hindsight I wish I had um, because there was something like eerie and uncomfortable about the nursing home sure but we still had like a regular relationship um I think that I have some regret for like how things happened with his death in terms of being in high school and we had a really big basketball game um that he he didn't show up to and it was to me like I was irritated because I was you know a teenager and my dad was just displaying some things that he had displayed when I was a lot younger and some weekends he didn't pick us up. And I remember calling him and being like really, really mad at him. And, and I remember like, I didn't say I love you when I hung up the phone for that, like that conversation. And I just remember being like, you know, I called him Steve instead of calling him dad. Um, and that wasn't our last conversation because then later I had a positive conversation, like maybe two days later, but I, that conversation will just like always stick with me that, you know, that I had that with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, we still had like a regular, regular relationship because I think even that, that hard conversation that we had or where I was acting out as a teenager, that's still like a regular conversation that my other friends like yeah. had. Yeah. Yeah. Was your, was your stepmother the prime, like, at the house, kind of primary, yeah, so she was a registered nurse, and so Before. she actually, um, she actually, I don't, yeah, I don't, she was the one there with him. Um, I don't know like the intricate details of how she was able to do it, but she actually was then like the caretaker hired by the company to take care of him daily in that capacity. Oh, wow. Maybe edit that out. That might have been illegal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Um, really trying to narc on her. Well, this is this is where we can't. This is where we just add like some music, and this is where we turn music on, and we just have this private conversation. My life. So. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean that. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's, you, you, I mean, have you 
has this story been one that you've had to tell or have been asked about or has come up um, like along your professional career as you interview? Because I can see people, you know, we talk, we ask patient questions about grit and how do you get through hard times? And can you give me an example? Like these are common interview questions. And I have to imagine this has come up before. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Is that, is that fair so to say? I, I like, you know, I think I told you guys before, like, I feel like it's overplayed. Like, I feel like it's something that like everybody knows that like Steph's dad was shot, like Steph's dad died, like all these things. And I try not to play like that as if hard. Um, but a hundred percent, like it, I don't think it was in, I know in fact it wasn't in my OBGYN um, personal statement, but it's something that for sure, like I remember Indiana, their interview is such a behavioral interview that it came up like three times in that day. And one of the questions that I was asked was like, what's the hardest thing you've ever done physically, emotionally, and mentally? And I remember being like, oh, you know, like having to play back college basketball and having to run all the time is like definitely the most physical, physically demanding thing that I've ever done. Mentally, like I think surgery is really mentally challenging and that's why I like surgery. And then definitely the most emotionally like hard thing I've ever done was in college. I was a junior in college and I, for whatever reason, I left a Bible study and I just like really had it on my heart that I was going to call the sheriff who sustained his flesh wound, um, who I'd been mad at for like all these years. And I called him and I just told him Mm -hmm. that like I didn't have any like hard feelings or ill thoughts about him. And I remember like he cried and, you know, I, I don't cry. So I refused to cry, but I was pretty relieved. And, you know, he like offered to to meet with me and have dinner with me. And and I politely declined, but that was by far the hardest thing that I think I'll ever do in my life. Um, Or at least I don't want to do anything harder because for me, then I had to let go of being able to like hate someone not that I hated him and wanted bad things for him, but I was so mad that like he had overstepped his boundaries and like he had done this. Um, and there, there was a dash cam and I've, I've never watched it. We'll never watch that footage, but it was just, you know, things were very bluntly described to me as I continued to age. And when, when it was appropriate, you know, the, um, the, um, Oh gosh, the commissioner who's like the head of the highway patrol, like right under the governor actually had a very frank conversation with my brother and I about exactly what happened. And um, he wanted us just to know everything like in not a gruesome detail, but in a very truthful and honest detail. And, uh, and so I, I had that, like I had that knowledge. And I think that was like when I was a senior in high school and I had had all this time of being able to be like, you know, that man messed up and like, he's the reason that like, I'm going to walk down the aisle without a dad and, you know, all these things. And so um, being able to call him and tell him that like, I, I wish him all the best. And I, I don't have those bad feelings. Like that was hard. But that's huge. I mean, forgiveness, like, finding forgiveness right is one of the hardest things but, I think and did you feel yeah changed I, I after felt that? changed and I felt mm. I felt good and I, I felt happy like I knew it was something I needed to do and um did you feel did you feel oh, a sense of closure yeah. I mean that's always a word that gets 
yeah I, I, it's pretty cliche, with that like moment a lot of closure and i'm i'm definitely not um as religious right. a, like at all as i was in in college and i i don't know if that's like if that's really what drove me is that like i had that on my heart from this bible study or because I don't even remember what the Bible study was about, if it was about forgiveness per se or about something that just made me think of my dad. Um, but I think like the whole thing as this like spiritual journey and as a sense of closure, like was really, was really good and really healthy. Um, but it, it is something, it's like a recurring theme. And um, I actually talk a lot with, with Dr. Dickinson about it. She's somebody that um, for whatever reason, I'm, I like confide in her a lot with, this specific topic and actually when I was a second year I was on APU and the APU second year like always does the 730 c-sections and I um I had a repeat cesarean where we actually had an AFE and the patient left the OR and I wheeled her out on ECMO and she had um a son that was the same age or thereabout as I was when I saw my demo and I remember like seeing myself in his face wow. And I held it together, held it together. And then um, hmm. actually Dr. Dickinson has taken me back to the labor call room and sat me down and she was like, you know, like basically you're not leaving this room until you open up a little bit. Um, and I just remember like, I, I'd never cried that hard. I don't think ever as I did during that time um, in that call room with her. Hmm. Because it was, it was just like right in my face. Like I felt like I was just seeing, yeah. you know, the 11 year old stuff, like seeing that. And that's, that was like awful because I felt like I had caused it, even though like I'm smart enough to know that I didn't, that just, it was an awful feeling. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I always I always residency no matter what you've been through before you walk in to residency it always brings out so much and human emotion like it just makes just develops you as a human being on so many levels um, just because of what you go through what you see and how it, how you respond to it based on what you've been through or not been through before yeah that's really powerful yeah, stuff. For sure. Steph, thanks yeah. for sharing this. Not to end on a... <laughs> but, but, but hold up, but hold up. I, I'm curious. You talked about starting with humor in fifth grade. So like yeah. what role did, did you... Was humor used as a coping mechanism for you? Did, did your use of humor oh. as a coping mechanism oh, I, strengthen through this? I mean, I think that uh, was like... You know, devastation? I mean, I don't remember like the exact time or place or situation, but a hundred percent, like I, I always made it a point to like make fun of my dad and the fact that he was a quadriplegic before anybody else could. Like I, you know, I mean, it was just like something to lighten the mood. Like you weren't going, like you just weren't going to mess with him. So, you know, that's just, I mean, you just weren't. Right. Um, you know, and I, I graduated high school with like 43 people. And so we didn't, you didn't have time to like make fun of each other um, in that small setting. But, you know, my dad lived um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is, you know, you got a million people there. And 
So when you go to the mall or whatnot, like people are going to look and people are going to, you know, make comments or make fun of, make fun of people. And, and so, you know, I would always just say something or do something funny to, you know, distract, distract them. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the shade people can throw from distances. I mean, and trying to put up a bridge between that is, is very important. Um, I'm going to bring it back to COVID a little bit. I was just noticing like people are so quick to criticize everyone else's social distancing habits during this time. Have you noticed this? Like, I'm social distancing better than you are, or, uh, <laughs> is this, you know, like, I, is this at the hospital? Um, I don't think in the hospital. Or just in general? Are you seeing it online? Yeah, like, well, specifically, you know, like physical activity, like, should you wear a mask when you're outside jogging or whatnot? You know, no, I got um, you. like, are you covering up enough or are you getting too close to other people? I don't know. I feel like, or when you see people together, like, are they not social distancing enough? And, you know, like there's, <laughs> I just feel like there's room for the, I, it has nothing to do with your, what you were just saying stuff, except for the fact that like you're walking, like people are judging from a distance always. Right. And you're like acutely aware of that. And that is very difficult for me. I feel like it's always been difficult. Um, I feel really acutely aware of when people are judging from a distance and they really know nothing about the story, but you know, so you want to like jump out and be like, yeah, I would love to have your sense of humor to come up with some great one-liners yeah. in these situations. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Stephanie, I mean, you got examples of just, just using humor to disarm people. Yeah. I mean, with, with you, with, what you were doing with your dad is you were just using the humor to disarm. Yeah. yeah. Are you using that? I mean, like, that's what I want when we're all walking around talking about you know like hey we're all gonna get through this you know I mean in like comparison to what you have just been talking about in like these you know this life this life that you've lived and like lived through and and all of these things you've overcome and and dealt with really well you know and then you know it just sort of puts that I feel like yeah it's like shining a light between that and like this pandemic that we're all going through together and it you know, everyone's coming into a pandemic with their own life troubles and experiences, right? And I don't know. I mean, I we don't have like sports, it. so what else to compete with aside from social distancing? More ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing more social distancing? That's the scoreboard. So you don't know if I have a mask on or not. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's been the problem. Like as the schedule has gotten a little different and there's room for like daylight running for me, there's like so many people. Yeah. Who are these people? Why are... But they're all right. Like everybody is, is so into nature now. Just infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we went, uh, our school, Conway Elementary School, had a parade for the teachers. So the teachers drove their cars through the bus route and the kids would like stop. So we went and stopped on the corner of the bus route. And when we were there, it was a neighborhood. So we're all 
following the social distancing as best we can with elementary school kids who haven't seen each other in a while. But there were some cars that were driving by. There were some neighbors that were out for walks. Many, you could tell who was just glaring and who was just like, I couldn't help but wonder like, damn, are they, yeah, I know this doesn't look good, but um, yeah, I, I can, I, I understand what you mean though about the, are you social, you're not social distancing enough, but I am. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I'm social you know, like, distancing Usually whatever someone has decided to do, they, you know, think that that's the best, right? So, but I, I guess what I was hearing while you were speaking is you know maybe the the difference between like everyone's own personal stories and personal heartbreaks and traumas and things that they've been through to make them stronger are you getting a sense with this pandemic that maybe this is a sense this is a time where we're all using this trauma to we're all experiencing it in somewhat of a similar way that will come out of it with a shared understanding that we may not have had before. Is no. that possible, do you think? I don't that... think it is. I think they're going to have people that are no. like, okay. I saw people This is like the difference between you know, seven Yeah, it, it looked really hard like, no. for you, but it was harder for me. Yeah. I like to be like positive and be like, yes, like <laughs> we're all going to be a better. This. <laughs> You know, it's it's the same as like I I like I text my classmates and I was like I'm I don't know what to do with this twelve hundred dollars that I got, you know, for the stimulus package. Already in the top one percent, and like, why why is the government stimulating the already stimulated? Like the people that need this twelve hundred dollars are the people that <laughs> didn't file the two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen tax returns because they didn't have jobs to file tax returns like those are the people that need this i don't i don't need it but the cutoff for the the um earnings and here's my twelve hundred dollars i actually so what are you um, planning to do with that fellowship that i have that i run and just um increase it by here Nice. That's awesome. What is the scholarship? Tell us about the scholarship. Yeah. The scholarship is the Dr. Shelby Dickinson Scholarship Fund, and it's a scholarship for Staples High School, which is um, a high school in Minnesota where I did RPAP, and RPAP stands for the Rural Physician Associate Program, which is a program that you do all of third year of med school um, if you apply and are accepted this program. You're at one rural hospital for um, 11 months, and I did this program and just really felt like I owed a lot to the community. And so when I left, I actually bought an ad in the paper and wrote the letter for letting me be a part of you know, their community and deliver their babies and operate on them and take care of their families. And then um, because cool. last year when I was trying to decide on academic medicine versus you know, non-academic medicine, whether that be a private or um, something like Canadian Health Service, I had talked a lot with Dr. Dick. Like, I like teaching and like, I don't know what to do. And of insight and a lot of mentoring um, that I will forever be. So I took that, 
develop a scholarship, then I can and develop a way to be able to teach people, whether that be residents or med students or just other colleagues. And so I put the scholarship fund together and we had our first scholar. And I'm actually waiting for her reply. Say she can uh, tell Staples High School going to win it this year. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I don't know. I feel like you alone are making our society better. So I think everyone can, you know, step it up a little bit. Also, I really- yeah, man. Shout out, shout out to you, Stephanie. Always giving it back. It seems like always giving it back. Staying loyal to those who helped you get to where you are. That's pretty important quality. And tell us about how you're going to do that next year as you leave. Like, even you know, what do you? I mean, you're thinking it's a funny time to like be thinking about leaving residency, and I hope that you're travel plans and moving plans aren't too disrupted by all this but um, well, currently I don't you? know what's next for me because I am the paper but most likely just system which is the Indian Health Service system which is the system in, as I'm Cherokee and the system that took um, got me to where I am as a healthy young adult I don't know how long I'm here, but um, mm-hmm. in Chinley, Arizona, which is Arizona, we're not connected like with a residency program, but I went there as a first year med student, and obviously I went there uh, last year for my elective, so I um, actually have another scholarship fund, which is something that I can't release at this time, but I guess mm-hmm. I can talk about it. It's to pay for a third year WashU student, or um, not student, but resident to come out to the res. And um, we have like student housing out there. And I stayed in it again as a first year and I stayed in a different uh, free housing last year, but I'll pay for their, their travel funds and like give them a stipend as far as being able to have, you know, play money for the weekend and, and food money um, if they want to come out and do an elective out there. Do you think that attendings can maybe uh, take advantage of that scholarship? I think, can I, I, I think <laughs> you can take advantage of coming just, out, but I, I think no, I get it. I hear I you. I gotta know. put my money where it's not. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. <laughs> Noted. I will drive them out though if they get the scholarship. Yeah. Maybe I can bring them. That sounds awesome. That's amazing. But I, That's I just such think a great that, opportunity. You know, and I don't know if people would be interested in it. And I don't, I'm not trying to sell it as like a, a free thing. I just want people to like know that if they want yeah. to do something like that, which is, it's very easy to do because you don't have to have like extra malpractice insurance or an extra license for being on the res. And if, if money is the setback for travel funding, then like I am happy to cover that because we don't get that training here. Like we don't have, St. Louis does not have a big um, American Indian or Alaskan native population. And so if I could like offer that and supplement that into the WashU education event, like I would, I want to do that because it's something meaningful and 
something that I'm proud of that's part of my heritage. And I just want to offer that to, to people if they want to take advantage. Well, I think you're pretty cool. All the things that you do. Um, these scholarships are amazing to hear about. Um, like just great ideas. And so how do you go from having the idea of like how much did it take to make that happen? Right. Cause I think there's some doing behind that too. You can just have these great ideas, but then to actually make it happen and make that scholarship happen in Minnesota, that's, uh, was it difficult? No, I called up the superintendent's office and I told them, Hey, I have an idea for a scholarship fund. And they said, no problem. I'll get you hooked up with the scholarship person or director or whatever. And the next day I got a call and he's like, you know, what's your idea? And I told him I have an idea for a scholarship that I want it to be an essay scholarship um, where the student, you know, there's no regulations for like the length of the essay or the type of font they have to use or anything like that. I want them to that has been an inspiration to them. And then I want them to specifically tell me how they're going to use what they've learned from this individual or group of individuals to then on and in their uh, lifetime through furthering their education, how they plan to inspire others. And so, you know, I did. And then they asked me how much I wanted the scholarship to be. And I told them that's also an easy question because it's going to be my dad's badge number times two, which is um, his badge number is 725. And so it's a mm. $14 and $50 scholarship that um, this year we'll just have the one year increase um, by 1200. Nice. But no, it was, it was really easy. I mean, it turns out schools don't turn down money. <laughs> That's so. great. Well, it's very meaningful. Um, do you take a lot of um, strength from writing? Like do you gain strength from writing? Cause you mentioned you're writing a book. You want to hear from people in their essays about what they're going to do. Like how, um, how, what does writing mean to you right now? Are you doing a lot of it? Oh yeah. I, I mean, obviously I, so my book is that I write an essay every month. So I write about the most meaningful experience I had that month. And, you know, some, of them, some meaningful experiences to me are things that happen um, at the hospital and some happen in my family or outside of the hospital and some are good and some are really awful and hard to get through. So I've always found writing to be something that is really um, like a positive outlet outlet for me and something that I can like go to. And the thing that I like about writing is that when I put it down, like it actually happened because it's physical Mm -hmm. going on a physical piece of paper. It's not a keystroke that I can then take back. Although a lot of my essays I do later type up. It's, it's different though than just like doodling something down or journaling something quick. Um, Cause I do that with some of the, the comedy that I write, like I'll just sketch out a conversation or something, or sometimes I just like will text comedy. Like I was talking about earlier and just like text threads. But for me, like when I sit down and actually write out an essay, like I don't, I don't take breaks during that time. You know, I, it's from start to finish that I write it out. Um, and then when I step back and look at it or like read it, I don't read it for error. I read it for like content and, and really soak in that that actually happened. And that's actually how I felt. And then it's nice to go back and read some of the essays that I wrote. Like when I was, I started this, my third year of medical school and just to read those essays and be like, I was so immature and like how I was (laughs) thinking about this, um, not immature in like, um, 
I mean, immature in like an undeveloped way. Like I yeah. didn't have yeah. my emotions developed or like even some of the skills that I've learned from being a physician, like some of those were so new and so, um, you know, infantile that like, it's just silly to, to read some of the thoughts that I had about patient care. Um, you know, just yeah. how green I was that everything was going to be okay or something like that. When, when now it's like this bad outcome happened and like, this is how this patient embraced it and how I have learned to be a better physician through how they dealt with it or how I dealt with it. Um, and so, yeah, I, every morning I'll, I'll do like some kind of like doodling or jotting down something or some affirmations. Um, I've gotten into meditation lately, like the last three to four months. Um, I've really gotten in, like really pretty deep into meditation. I used to go to a meditation class before all this um, social distancing stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that my journaling in the morning time has improved since getting into meditation because I usually will journal and then meditate on what I just wrote about. Um, but I think it's important for those students to write down and to actually be able to step back and, and see themselves as saying like, you know, I thought that this person really made a difference in my life. And then to see themselves too, like say, this is how I plan to use a college education or a trade school education to go and impact other people's lives. Instead of just saying it, like they are putting it down there on this piece of paper or, you know, in their computers, like they are physically having to, to live this out. Yeah. Is that the answer you were looking for? Absolutely. Of course, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you, do you like make a dedicated time to writing in the morning? I think the morning is such a great time to write, but um, like I, I totally underutilize the morning um, for writing and I've been trying to do a little more of that, but I find it like I block out time to exercise. It's like very important to me and I can do that, but then I think that I would be better <laughs> if I blocked out more time for writing uh, just being diligent about it you know like setting the time aside otherwise I won't do it yeah no I I write every single morning I get up I always get up about the same time even even though like today our zoom meeting didn't start until 10 it's not like I slept in I, I still got up <laughs> six and I still grabbed my coffee and had my like little 10 minutes of it's usually just 10 minutes or 15 minutes that I'm just jotting down some things and then I know, jot down at least three affirmations for the day. Um, and then I usually do a short meditation that's about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and then my day starts. Great. But I have missed that meditation time and I've definitely noticed it. Like I just, not that I was grumpy or negative, but I could just definitely feel that I had to really focus more on like really saying, I know that inside I feel irritated and I just have to control that a little harder. Yeah. It's a, it's a way to give name to something that like giving name to your feeling actually, I feel like helps it go away. Right. It's almost like that conversation that you had that like by having that conversation with the sheriff that you mentioned, like the state trooper who, you know, that's very powerful. Like you actually put it out there and then it almost dissipates. I think even just calling a name to an emotion is a little bit like that. Maybe not quite as powerful every morning, but yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's definitely been good. Like I, I love challenges, you know, to compete, but I like to compete with myself more than any other person. 
And so for me to like tap into this more emotional side where I've never been like a touchy feely person or a really emotional person. And I think that that's not a surprise to anybody that would be listening to this, that I, I'm not very like lovey dovey. Um, in fact, when I was on Ankh, my intern at the time, she had, um, you know, like we had a, a pretty tough, a tough day and, um, we had a patient that was, you know, obviously on the oncology service, we have a lot of like really sick patients, but this particular day was hard in that um, a patient that was really somebody that we had really been caring for um, and working really hard to care for. She just had a bad experience and my intern ended up um, having an emotional reaction to that. And I remember telling her, I was like, you know, I'm just going to be honest, like, if you need to step out of the room and go collect yourself, but like, I, I'm not going to be able to, to really like, like, I'm not going to hug you or, or do any of that. But now if that situation was to rehappen, like I, I think that I could better work with her through that experience. And I think that it's made me like a softer, not that I was coarse towards her, but I think this made me a softer person. Meditation. Yeah, just like yeah. being able to mm-hmm. to get close with emotion and, and not be this like foreign concept. Ah, uh, yeah. That's great. I find it really hard to meditate. Um, you know, this like way of sitting still is actually really hard for me. Um, I would like to get up and do things and get things done and, you know, check them off. And I feel like time that goes by when you're trying to meditate and actually just listen to your breath is really challenging. Uh, I, I struggle with it. I, I don't know. I'll try it some more. It sounds very beneficial from what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the same that I feel about running. Like I'm doing <laughs> this running program, you know, just like a walk run, kind of like a couch to 5k thing um, through Nike and myself every uh, you know, like tonight's probably going to be the night when I end up walking before the ding, but I don't, you know, I find a way and it's a challenge and like, it's fun. And, and I, I've thought about you like multiple times, like, I don't know how she does this and how she's so good and how she enjoys this. Like, this is awful. When am I going to get the runners high? Like, uh, I just, I want to have those endorphins pumping, but they just don't. They don't the only thing pumping is my breath. <laughs> so. uh, keep going. One foot in front of the other. You'll you'll find it. That's awesome that you're doing yeah. that program too. Goodness. You're doing yeah, I mean, I'm really right just now. doing them so I have an excuse to buy more shoes. But Yes. Never a pro- That's always a good rationale. That's always a good motivation. No, I've I really been working hard. Awesome. Trying to trying to drop some LBs. Wow, you are working hard in a lot of ways. Goodness, I it's great. I mean, it's good to know that the pandemic has not changed you. Let's just put it that way. In fact, yeah. I mean, I like myself enough to think that I don't think anything's ever going to change me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just don't see that happening. Okay. I don't know. I, I end, I guess... Not that I, I want to rush off, but I just don't want to uh, to leave you without an ending. But I think that the best way to end this podcast is to end it, like whenever we do end it, is to end um, with me saying the same thing that I close out all my essays, which is that 
people, they will forget your honors and awards, but they're never going to forget how you treat them. And that's something that's like the last line in every one of my essays, which is every essay is a chapter in, in the book. And that's, that's how I end every essay. And it's so, tr so true. Like no one is going to know or care about any awards that I ever get, but always going to know how I treated them. Well, thanks, buddy. It's been awesome to talk to you. Um, would you do it again? Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, over and out from Steph and Andrea and Kenan, who we lost a little while ago, but um, we hope that you've all enjoyed listening to the amazing Stephanie Smith. Yeah. Wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs>